A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Rise up in splendor, Jerusalem. Your light has come. The glory of the Lord shines upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick clouds cover the peoples. But upon you, the Lord shines, and over you appears his glory. Nations shall walk by your light, and kings by your shining radiance. Raise your eyes and look about. They all gather and come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters in the arms of their nurses. Then you shall be radiant at what you see. Your heart shall throb and overflow, for the riches of the sea shall be emptied out before you. The wealth of nations shall be brought to you. Caravans of camels shall fill you, dromedaries from Midian and Ephah, all from Sheba shall come, bearing gold and frankincense, and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. with justice, and your afflicted ones with judgment. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. Justice shall flower in his days, and profound peace till moon be no more. May he rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. The kings of Tarshish and Isles shall offer gifts. The kings of Arabia and Seba shall bring tribute. All kings shall pay homage all nations shall serve him. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. For he shall rescue the poor when he cries out, and the afflicted when he has no one to help him. He shall have pity for the lowly and the poor and the lives of the poor he shall save. 
Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for your benefit, namely, that the mystery was made known to me by revelation. It was not known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed. To his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles are co-heirs members of the same body and co-partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn King of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. 
When you have found him, bring me word that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that had been seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Perhaps of all of the solemnities of the celebrations of the Christmas season, the most iconic of all is today's solemnity of the Epiphany of the Lord. I can remember from my earliest years as a child being captivated by the account. And mind you, every year annually, we are always using the same scripture for today's feast, be it cycle A, B, or C. The Gospel from Matthew, the first reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60, and St. Paul's epistle or letter to the Ephesians. But I always remembered being so captivated by this revelation, which is what the term epiphany is. It's a manifestation. It's a showing. God revealing his glory, not only to the chosen, but to the world. And as you listen to this account, we are told that the place that this child is born and that these magi from the east, that distinctive uh, detail from the east is to confirm for us and to bring to our attention these are outsiders coming in. We remember the presentation of the child Jesus in the temple of Jerusalem, the aged Simeon. We heard this on the Feast of the Holy Family. And he uttered prophetic words about this child, what would be the consequence of his birth, the rising and falling of many in Israel, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And then, of course, the personal word of prophecy spoken to Mary, the mother, about the sword of sorrow that would pierce her soul, her heart, that, so that the thoughts of many might be revealed. All of these mysteries, all of these words, revelation from God, from ages past, now find culmination in today's solemnity. And we're told that when these magi came, now who were they? What are we to make of them? Well, they are not to be equated with the palm readers and the tarot card readers that you see in Jackson Square, in front of the cathedral. 
They always pretend to offer you and me some insight that they have. And then they have nothing. They're a bunch of rubbish. Sit up there and take your palm and read. And what are they telling you? They speak in generalities that every human being desires. Happiness, joy, peace, prosperity, health, good, well, good health, <laughs> companionship. They are not saying anything. And somebody said, well, yeah, Father, but sometimes I said, please. A watch or a clock that's broken on the wall or on your wrist, the old time ones, you know, with the, the minute hand and the, and the hour hand, they will give you the correct time at least twice in the course of a 24-hour day. So, so goes it. These are men of learning. These are men who began to employ the sciences of the time in such a way that they were able to observe the natural order of creation and discern its divine origin and gain insight. They particularly kept their eyes heavenward because the constellations for them were quite significant. In fact, we may wonder where does this come from? What is the biblical basis for these, these mysterious figures coming from the east? Where is it? The book of Numbers, chapter 24, specifically verse 17. It was at a time in which the Moabite king, Balak, he was fearful and uh, desiring to do away with the Israelites. So he called upon one of his mystics in his court, Balaam. And he said to him, I want you to call down a, a word of curse upon these people. Do away with them. He tried three times. Each time he tried to utter a word that was a curse God took captivity of his words and made him utter blessing. And the third time he tried, he actually spoke the prophetic word that constitutes what we see the Magi coming into King Herod's court and inquiring about. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising, where they were troubled. But this comes because when Balaam uttered the third attempt to try and bring down a curse upon the Israelites, he spoke in prophecy and said, A light shall come forth from Bethlehem of Judea, and from this light will manifest a great king. This was significant to the people of such culture and tradition. They were not taking it lightly. And albeit this particular light, this particular constellation in the heavens did not conform to what they had become accustomed to observing. They saw it as significant. And they were not going to dismiss it by no means. And so they set out to see where it would lead. Now, over the ages, there are three schools of thought that have been presented to try and give us some insight as to what was this star. One was that it was a comet, such as Halley's Comet, which historically the, the astronomers have been able to, with their understanding of the stars, they've been able to track and know exactly how the stars would have aligned at that particular time in history. So it's believed that it was Halley's Comet that was streaming across and they took sight of it and moved with it. 
Another uh, theory is that it was an alignment of Jupiter and Saturn in such a way that it, pre that it presented a, 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 a tremendous brilliance in the sky that was unlike anything they'd seen before. And then there's the third theory, that it was a supernova, a star that was burning out and it was moving in a way. But the church fathers have looked upon this event, this revelation of the scripture, as if it indeed was of a natural order, if it was a constellation of the stars, they definitely concluded that there was a supernatural influence that was at work. Because stars don't move. They are usually in fixed places and, uh, you know, they may move very slightly, but not in the way this star was moving. There was an intelligence governing this star's movement. We hear that after they came out of their audience with King Herod, they were overjoyed when they saw it again appear, and they followed it, and it stopped over the house in which the child and mother were to be discovered. Tradition gives us the names of these three, Balthazar, Caspar, and Melchior. They bear the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Where does this come from? And also the notion of kings, because we don't know that they were kings. The scripture doesn't call them kings. They refer to them as magi. But they were men of wisdom. They were men of learning. They would have been akin to the kind of men that would have surrounded the court during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember the book of Daniel, a terrific book to read and take time with. They had the members of the court there, much like our presidents have their cabinet of people that they depend upon who have expertise in certain areas, so it was then. But these men had mystical insight and they would be there to offer some type of interpretation if the king had a dream or some ideas or concerns or something like that, he would consult them. So this was the type of people we're dealing with here. And they are coming. And it is not uncommon for them to, 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 to discern such new occurrences in the human scene. So they are bearing with them gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We hear the 60th chapter of today's reading from Isaiah speaking about they shall be carrying gifts from all the nations as the light will shine upon them, leading them. Dromedaries and so forth, this whole presentation, they will bear with them great treasures of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. Why gold? Because the child would be of royal descent. He was royalty. He was a king. Why frankincense? He was be of a divine nature. Frankincense was used as incense to worship a, a deity. And we know that Jesus is the God-man. And myrrh. The myrrh was used to anoint the body to anoint someone of great importance. Once they would be established as king, there's the anointing of the king, but also there would be the anointing of the body at the time of death. We could purport that, we could speculate too, that the gold, frankincense, and myrrh are meant to confirm the three primary charisms of the Lord Jesus as priest, prophet, and king. Same realities, the, the, the gold again highlighting the kingly identity, the royal identity, the uh, frankincense, of course, the God, revelation of God, and then we have the myrrh, which would be used for the anointing. Priests were also anointed, their hands and so forth, for the work that they were to perform. 
but also they were the ones responsible for the sacrifice. What should catch our attention today? These seekers of knowledge, of wisdom, they come in faith. They may be surprised to discover that ultimately what they are being presented with is a child, by all appearances, as a human being. But in faith, they accept this is of a divine revelation. Something tremendous is here. And so they offer him, they prostrate themselves straight out. This is the posture for one who worships God, not just anybody, but God. And they lay their treasures before the king. Of course, we know Mary and, jo and Joseph, but Mary specifically is marveling. She's taken all of this in. She doesn't know exactly what to make of it. But she's accepting it. It's God's way. And so we see the outsiders come with faith, looking to see what God is making known. The court of Herod are troubled. They are looking to use, much like Balaam sought, Balak sought to use Balaam to bring cursing, a curse upon the Israelites to bring their demise, Herod is seeking to use these magi to bring about the end of this child. They are looking to destroy, they are looking to worship and the door. We can glean four important things from the Magi today for this our day and time. Because the same God continues to make himself known to us. And by all appearances, we may worship what simply looks like bread and looks like wine after the words of consecration are uttered under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. But in reality, the essence of bread and wine become body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Pope Leo, Leo the Great, in a sermon states the following, The road is long, we follow a star, slow steps and intrepid hearts, gazing with surety upon the invisible. We move toward the event for its contemplation. Three men, a star, a child, an overwhelming joy, prostrate we adore. This poem was written during a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, specifically during worship near the star marking the birthplace of Christ in Bethlehem. Today, Christ reveals himself to us in our hearts and showers us with gifts. What can we give to him? And that brings us back to the Magi. Number one, all of us must be willing to do our part. We must be willing to do what's necessary to become conversant with the ways of God, with the ways in which God reveals himself to us. How else can we understand when signs are shown to us pointing us to something more? So we must be willing to study on a regular basis. These were men of letters, of learning. They focused their hearts on what they had been given the propensity to do. Secondly, we must pray for humility and cultivate humility. Humility enables us to forego what we think we know. Notice that when they went to the court of King Herod, the scribes of Pharisees, they had done their work. They were diligent. They knew the scriptures. 
but they had become dull in spirit. It was just something, oh yeah, we know about that. It was to be here in Bethlehem, blah, blah, blah. They just read it off like it was nothing. But these, <laughs> these magi were very attentive. They were ready for what was being told to them. They were receptive. And this is what, it, what we have to be. We have to recognize that we may know a whole lot and may have come up, become accustomed to seeing things in a certain way, becoming so familiar. We can predict so many things because of the pattern of stuff. But when something doesn't flow in the way we have come ac become accustomed to it, we must be open. Because the truly wise person is wise because in as much as they may know a lot, they know that they don't know all that there is to know. Third, a disposition of detachment. These men were willing to let go of whatever they were involved in in order to go and see what this would lead to. Think about the parables of Jesus. Remember the king. He had the wedding banquet and everything was ready. He sent notice. First of all, invitations were sent out in advance. Then he sent messages and said, hey, it's time, it's ready. And remember, person after person, oh, I, yes, I said I would go, but I'm busy right now. I just procured this land. I just became engaged. I'm married. I have to do. They all, please excuse, consider me excused. They were not willing to detach themselves from that which was pre-announced and that they knew was coming. Sometimes that's how it is for us. Imagine you and I being given today an invitation to a once-in-a-lifetime event would never be repeated again. But it will require of us to leave, like literally, tomorrow. Seven o'clock in the morning, we have to be at the airport. Everything paid, everything. All accommodations. We simply have to be willing to leave now. How many of us are prepared to do that? Would we do it? Fourthly, once we arrive at that which has been made known. Once we find ourselves face to face with the revelation of love incarnate, what will we be prepared to offer? They offer treasure of great price. And I'm sure that meant a lot to, Mo to Mary and Joseph. But for God, what matters most is the willingness to surrender one's life to him. Are we willing on this day of Epiphany to give our hearts to the Lord who never fails to give us his heart in the liturgy of the Eucharist? Today is a moment for us, a moment of beauty, of revelation, of life and mercy, of love in this our day and time. Let us not only adore let us not only worship, let us now be willing to offer the sacrifice of praise and receptivity that will realize the wonders, the wonders of his love to every age and every generation without exception. God love you. <laughs>